Good morning. It is Tuesday, August 4th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on Community Pulse, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, is joined by Dr. Tim O'Connor, Director of Newborn Intensive Care at Boone Hospital Center in Columbia. They'll discuss the surprising decrease in premature birth since the start of the pandemic and other ways the neonatal unit is being affected. Good morning to you both. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Mallory. Good morning, Dr. O'Connor. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm, I am great this morning. So I wanted to say one of the reasons I'm great this morning is that we've had three days in a row of decrease seven-day average of new cases in Missouri. And while it is, hard, it is hard to celebrate still having over 1,000 new cases, we, this, this is the path to um, the victory that we want to celebrate, and that is getting down to a more reasonable level of one to 200 cases across the state every day. Um, and I'm hoping that it will continue, and we can't know for now. Uh, so in Boone County, that is that is the you know the the of Saturday, a Sunday, and a Monday report. Right. And um, more testing happens during the weekdays, so less no testing on Sundays. Anyway, all of that, but still, the seven day average is supposed to um, even some of that out. So we had ten new cases in Boone County reported um, yesterday, Monday, uh, for a total of twelve hundred and sixty one. Uh, Callaway County has one hundred and twenty five cases. Cole County three twenty five. Uh, the other surrounding counties tend to be increasing at also a relatively slow rate right now. Uh, the, uh, we have uh, 53,000 uh, cases in Missouri. And one of the interesting things is that there's 542 cases in among defenders, uh, offenders, uh, people incarcerated by the Department of Corrections. And those numbers are not added to our state totals, which is an interesting thing to me. Anyway. Um, so we are still in um, uh, sort of unprecedented high rates of uh, transmission in new cases in Missouri, but um, the trend downward is a promising one. So, um, Dr. O'Connor, Tim O'Connor, um, talk to us. We have noted one of the we've noticed lots of changes in lots of parts of life since the pandemic started and we all changed the way we live a little bit. And one of the things we've noticed is that there are fewer premature births happening. Yes. And, you know, I got to say this is an exciting thing. I've been, I've been dealing with preterm babies for uh, decades now, and I think this is the first real downturn we've seen. There's been a gradual decrease in preterm births, don't get me wrong, as healthcare improves and science learns more about preterm birth and preventing preterm birth and all that, that goes into that. You know, it's just a steady, steady decline in numbers of cases. But still, you know, 10% of babies are born preterm and about oh, two per hundred, 2% in what we consider, you know, very preterm, you know, 30 weeker or less. So you're cutting a quarter off your pregnancy or more, which, you know, certainly raises the stakes for a good outcome. Um, or, or poor outcome, I should say, and those are the babies that we fight the hardest to try to keep in utero, of course. And then right. for some reason, uh, which, you know, we'll talk about some of the potential causes we don't really know, um, there seems to be a decrease going on um, in those number of babies. And, you know, when you, when you look at babies, when only talking about 2% of births, it takes a while to figure out that there's a trend going on. 
You know, right. at first people were like, well, we didn't get a preterm baby this week. What's the deal? You know, and, uh, and then you realize that a number of people have, are experiencing that. So it, it's, it's yeah, how, how much are the numbers down? Well, you know, it depends on where you look. And they're not down everywhere, um, but okay. most places um, are experiencing that. It started, I think they first started really noticing this in Europe, as would make sense, because, you know, they had the issue before we did. I mean, assuming you're going to say that it's related to COVID, and, and you know, we'll talk about that. But it, at least from a time point of view, it appears to be. And right. I think it was in Ireland and England, they uh, just happened to notice kind of circumstantially that the, the very tiniest of babies, which we you know, call our extremely low birth weight, which is a less than two pounders, uh, which is quite a visual. If people haven't seen a less than two pound baby, it, it you know, it's pretty amazing that they survive at the rate it's, they do. But you know, it, right? It's kind of shocking that to see a, a human that small and that um, fragile looking. And it's um, interesting, though. I, I, as an aside, it's 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 always fun for me to see how fast the parents get used to that. Right, their oh, child, right. and within a day or two, they're they're no longer shocked about the size, and then right. you know, a couple of weeks later, they're like, "Oh, he's bigger," <laughs> and things like that. It's pretty exactly. Exciting. But for to the to the first time you see that as a human, it's like, "Oh, wow, I didn't." Yeah, look, and then it's, it's I'm amazed that 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 is a person that's going to survive. It doesn't go away. I'm still amazed, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so back in in Europe, you know, in in I believe it's Ireland. It, kind of first noticed it, you know, somebody, uh, I believe the story was they were, we, we, we add extra protein and, and fat and things to breast milk and we have to order those kind of extra things. And somebody was noticing they're not ordering so much, like, what's the deal? And it's like, well, we haven't had many. And, and then, you know, one thing led to another and they started realizing that, you know, in some places that their extremely low birth weight babies were down, you know, 80% in some places, which is astronomical that uh, is stunning because it, it you know is. prematurity is a um is a devastating uh, risk factor for lifelong uh, uh health problems so being born premature is one of the non-modifiable risk factors for heart disease in adulthood for example i'm assuming right. that's still right right yeah so this is a health challenge that we've all been trying to address and we just really haven't had you know, as you say, we've had these gradual sort of culture-wide uh, uh, changes, but it's not like we have a procedure, not that we haven't tried really hard, that will stop prematurity or prevent it. Correct. And, you know, there's there's so many reasons why people have preterm births that, you know, and, and we got to say from the outset, not all prematurity seems to be affected. It seems to be these very, very tiniest of babies. Okay. So, you know, the mechanisms by which you might have a preterm baby, let's say, at 36 weeks, are fundamentally different than why you might have one at, say, 26 weeks. Right. Uh, and so okay. we haven't, this, this, this last spring and early summer has not made a dent in our 34 to 36 weekers because, again, they're, they're born for different reasons. Um, gotcha. So it's just um, these very early, very preterm babies that we're seeing. Correct. Fewer but they're up. the most dangerous ones. And so if you had to right. pick a group that we want to decrease, that would be, and you know, we'd point our fingers at that immediately. Yes, absolutely. We'd be like, okay, if we only have one, if we're going to wave our magic wand in one direction, let's point it that way. Correct. And, you know, most of those babies uh, that are very, very tiny are born with preterm labor or as a result of preterm labor. Um, and so that's what seems to be 
being decreased. Whereas the older preterm babies, if I can throw that term out, I guess, yeah. um, um, are often born because of multiple gestation or growth restriction, maternal issues like high blood pressure that, you know, are you know, modifiable in different ways. And so uh, it's, it's this apparent decrease in preterm labor that's got everybody kind of curious about why that is currently. Right. You know. uh, and, you know, at Boone Hospital, you know, I was just looking at our numbers last week. Um, you know, we have a less than 30-week gestation baby every month, okay, and it's been that way for a decade. And, that just, you know, it's given yeah. our population volume. Um, and we haven't had one since March, you know, the beginning of March, frankly. Um, which wow. Is, so that's you know, got to really change be what a curious you... kind of quirk. But, you know, and we would go a month without having one, two months without having one, and and then we have, you know, three and two weeks or something. But mm-hmm. to go an entire quarter of the year without having one is, is you know, distinctly unusual. Right. And in a good way. Exactly. We're all thrilled with that. Um, but it must change a little bit about what the newborn ICU looks like and feels like. Well, you know, if you think about it, these babies often stay in a hospital two to four months. And so they kind right. of stack up. And so, you know, the the baby from August, you know, is still there, you know, in October sometimes. And so, you know, they they kind of pile up a little bit. And so we always have, you know, anywhere from three to five former extremely low birth weight babies, you know, in various stages of recovery. And right now we don't have any, (laughs) so it's just exciting. Exactly. So that means your newborn ICU is mainly dealing, uh, caring for these babies that are born closer to their due date that just need a little bit of help or babies that are born with a particular challenge of development or infection. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd say a little bit of help, but less than the really tiny ones. Um, they can be a, okay. a bit of a challenge, i got to say. So I'm not going uh, to sell out those moms who have 33-weekers on the ventilator, because you know, it, it's scary. But it's not nearly yes, as dangerous exactly. as your 23-weeker on the ventilator. So, um, right, yeah. right. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an exciting little break from... Uh, Do we Hi, I'm sure that's the question everybody's asking. What's that? Why, why oh, why? I'm are sorry. we seeing... You're yeah. kind of fading out. Um, Sorry about that. No worries. Um, well, you know, people are searching for that. It's really only been in the last several weeks that, that this has kind of come to attention. Um, and so there's been a lot of theories. Uh, you know, one is, you know, just decreased work stress and things on motherhood. You know, um, you know there's a lot of hormonal issues with stress relating, you know, releasing things like you know, corticotropin-releasing hormone, various things. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but... You know, the stress of, of American life, you know, and European life is, is uh, can lead to preterm labor, frankly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and the question, are people getting more rest because they're off work? But, you know, that also causes other kinds of stressors in terms of economic stressors and things. Uh, uh, but, um, right, and not... So, d- Tim, does the... Um does this very early, very low birth weight um, uh, birth problem is that also does it trend like are there demographic differences in that so we would are there racial disparities and socioeconomic disparities in that um or is that mostly the late term ones uh it's more in the late term ones but there's certainly still some in the in the very preterm ones but um the you know when you look at prematurity overall um there's racial and socioeconomic 
um, um, variations, you know, with you know, Caucasian um, people somewhere in a nine percent range, and uh, non-Hispanic African American somewhere about fourteen, fifteen percent. So, you know, a, a substantial difference. Um, yeah, um, because not all uh, communities are finding this period of time to be less stressful and more restful. Oh, no doubt. Um, and, you know, and so the question of the whole stress issue is, is what kind of stress are you talking about, I guess? And, um, right. Uh, and, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time to see if this change in the prematurity uh, rate continues over time. Uh, it'd be quite exciting if it did. Um, or if it kind of burns out, you know, as the virus burns out, you know, hopefully sometime, in, or if we right. get a vaccine and can kind of decrease the rate and uh, uh, of infection. But it does not appear to be, you know, directly COVID related, but somehow indirectly COVID related. If you can kind of get your head around that. Right. So it's not like these are the that pregnant women being infected with COVID nineteen and getting sick. Well, then you expect it to be increasing, you know, not decreasing. Right. So, um, yeah. Correct. Because we are also seeing an increase in pregnancy loss in uh, women who become infected during their pregnancies. Zero doubt about that. Maybe. So, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is tough on pregnant women who are, you know, physiologically stressed to their limits, and you add a serious infection of any sort uh, onto right. that, and then the mortality rate goes up. Uh, dramatically, and and you know mm-hmm. nationwide. Fortunately, in Missouri, we haven't seen too much of that, but you know, nationwide, certainly in the New York experience, um, quite a few women who were ill at the time of delivery became exceptionally ill right around the time of delivery or, or right afterwards. And so, um, you know, and we had a smattering of pregnant women COVID positive that you know have fortunately been doing quite well in, as a group. You know, um, mm-hmm. but uh, it certainly has our attention. Right, so it's still a it's it's still an interesting thing, and the fact that it doesn't seem to be affecting these late term uh, 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 prematurity um, is very interesting. Um, and then, uh, you know, so one of the things that we um, asked ourselves when you and I talked about this, and I realized you'd be a great guest for this show, is is this about us doing? as physicians, doing fewer things to pregnant women? You know, it raises the question, um, and, and time will sort that out. But, you know, the idea being, you know, is organized medicine in some regard responsible for some amount of extreme prematurity? Um, the flip side to that same question, though, is, um, are we having a, uh, less very preterm births because we're having more intrauterine losses? You know, which would be theoretically would not preventable. Be. You know, and right, and that that what often we're doing is that with these very young uh, babies is that we may be doing like they may we may be because they're they're coming into the hospital in preterm labor that the babies end up in the intensive care unit rather than dying inside the uterus or um in the ambulance or in a hosp- in a home birth situation where we didn't realize 
I'm not saying this would be a planned home birth. This would be, oh, I'm in preterm labor. I don't want to go to the hospital. I'm afraid that COVID-19 will get me in the hospital. And then what happens is that the baby comes out at home. Correct. And that and we it's are, really hard, oddly enough, to, to acquire some of those numbers because they all go to different places. And we have a pretty good right. feel for what our preterm baby birth Right, because they go to the intensive care unit, and then there are commonalities like, yeah, and every time there's one of those really low birth weight babies, people order the same supplies, so you can kind of measure that. Correct. And yeah. Then, um, but, but, you know, when you have a, a, you know, a sad loss at home, you know, and then, um, it, you know, you talk to your OB, and, and they see the OB as outpatient, things like that, you know, do those numbers somehow get lost? And we've been working to try and figure out if there's a simultaneous uptick in entry late, what we would consider a late intrauterine loss somewhere in the 20s and 30s week, you know, range. Um, right. That would account for some of this and, you know, hopefully not, you know, cause that would be, you know, kind of a sad, um, that would not uh, be something to celebrate. No, we are I mean, not it, wanting it, it would, to reduce premature. That, we don't right. want to reduce premature. by if he's died, that is not the answer. Correct. What we want is for them to stay in the uterus and and become term births. And that's what we hope is the case. Um, and, you know, I think as I poll um, some of my colleagues, uh, none of them have really come out and said, oh, my gosh, we've seen, you know, more spontaneous losses than usual this last quarter or two, mm-hmm. um, which is good news. But, again, you know, from provider to provider, the number, the, the absolute number would be quite low. And so right. it's kind of hard to, to sort that out until you can get, you know, thousands of providers to pool their information to see a little uptick. You know, we're, we're, we're dancing around numbers that are only affecting 2% of the whole population of births. So it, it takes a while to figure out that there's a trend that's changing that relatively small number, even if it's changing it by quite a bit, you know. Exactly. And the other thing is that I'm guessing that there's a fairly, um, there's an overrepresentation of the pregnancies that have this outcome of preterm labor and either very premature birth or late uh, fetal demise, that uh, they're probably overrepresented by people who don't have a really solid re- relationship with their prenatal care provider. I think that's fair uh, uh, statement. You know, in you know, yeah. So the thing is that there could also be some of them that they don't call their obstetrician. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so they just like somebody just stops coming to care, and you don't know why. Well, you know, it's not a week that doesn't go by that we don't get a person or two in that is entering prenatal care past the time of viability. You know, like they come into right. prenatal care at 26, 28, 29 weeks. Which you right, know, uh, it, not what we're choosing, what we like. Yeah, I would, I would be. You know, it would be up suboptimal, you know, certainly. And right. I get it, you know, because it can be kind of scary. And then there's certain barriers to prenatal care that you know you and I have talked about for decades. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, and so you know, I don't think that alone can, can account for this big a difference. Though it, I, I think in my instinct that there's something else going on that's uh, in a positive way. Uh, you know, I think yeah. the New York Times article from last month that people want to look at, it, I think it was the New York Times sometime in uh, in July, early July, I think, when they started talking about this, you know, is there a silver lining here with this COVID thing, you know, but um, 
unfortunately, it only affects a small number of people, but, you know, these are are, are scarily dangerous patients that we take care of. And if we can decrease their numbers many percent, that, that would be fantastic. It would be, especially if we can figure out what it is that is doing it so that we can keep doing that. Correct. But, you know, yeah. we shall see, I guess, and we'll keep in touch as, as we hear. I know the, the OB community uh, is on a fast track trying to figure this one out, you know. Cause, uh, I, I'm sure that they are. Um, so I also wonder if you'd give us just a little bit of insight about what it's like to go in and out of Boone Hospital every day and how it's <laughs> different now than it was in February, because... The rest of us are staying out of the hospital, but many of us are very curious about what it would be like. You know, it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, you know, um, you know, we're, we're all working in these hospitals in the three or four most dangerous buildings in town. Okay, but um, it, it, they are taking it very seriously. Um, I would say um, it's an inconvenience. You know, obviously you have to wear the mask. Um, and you'll be screened at entrances. Uh, there's, they've limited the entrances just so they can have manpower for the screening. It's not that they're trying to be inconvenient. It's just you know, we can't have a, right. a check-in desk at every door. Um, mm-hmm. for, for the staff, it, it's a bit of an inconvenience, but, you know, it's just once or twice a day. And, um, and you get your temperature taken and a little mini-interview about why you're there and where you need to go and how to be getting there in a direct way and then, uh, no dilly dallying around the lobby, and uh, so you know it, it it is working. I think uh, yeah, I think at the beginning it was pretty clunky and and inconvenient, um, but people have kind of figured out that you know you don't come in during you know nursing shift change at seven, you know, and and try to avoid the, the giant masses of people coming in right. one time or another, and uh, uh-huh. and they've been able to stagger things around, and and I, th- I think it's it's working, and uh, uh, it's so pretty rare to see somebody walk around the hospital without a mask. The waiting rooms are probably pretty empty. They are completely empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been an interesting dynamic in OB. Uh, you know, in some ways, it's really nice because there's nobody bothering this new set of parents that are are there, you know, trying to learn their babies, you know, ins right. and outs. And so that's uh, somewhat of an advantage. But, you know, you know, it's a family kind of event for most people, and, and that gets to be, you know, a little bit difficult to to get around. But most people are pretty understanding, we've found. Yeah. So has it undermined your ability? I know it seems that it's been a long time since I worked in a hospital, but it seems like one of the things that often happens in a hospital is sort of these hallway consultations where you can sort of find somebody and you cross paths with somebody and say, hey, I I wanted to ask you a question. And I'm just wondering whether that's harder or whether that's different. We certainly don't run across the other professionals very often anymore. In fact, I'm sitting in a medical library at Fabulous Boone Hospital right now, and as I glance across through two windows, there's nobody in the doctor's lounge at all, which would be unusual. Usually there's a couple people milling about. Um, right. So, uh, but, you know, we still have phones, and if we need to talk to somebody, we pick them up. And, and mm-hmm. So I don't think it it changes care anyway. It, it certainly is a, is a bit of a uh, decrease in just a general camaraderie, you know, but most people are kind of thumbs up and doing their job and uh, realizing it's, it's a different time right now, but hopefully, you know, not forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
You know, we do have to put a plug in for Amendment 2 before we get off the phone. Yeah. I can't talk oh, to you. Oh, please not do. You're, you're, you're allowed to do that, yeah. Oh, well, that's nice of you. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's terribly important, and I think a lot of people who aren't, you know, in the medicine area day-to-day don't understand what it's like to not get health care and how expensive that really is to the rest of the population, you know, and... and because, you know, as you put off basic health care, eventually you're going to enter the health care system with something more serious, you know. And, um, right. you know, back when we were lobbying for Medicaid expansion for the last several the years, when it would have been yeah. 100% match, by the way. Thank you, our legislature, for not taking it then, huh? But, um, right. um, you know, hundreds of people died for lack of health care and nothing else, you know. And right. uh, I was following a case of a, a young man who had diabetes. You know, and he had a low-income job. He couldn't afford his insulin, and he would just regularly come into the emergency department with complications of having his hugely high blood sugar, occasionally land into the intensive care unit. And, you know, if he can't afford insulin, he's not going to afford an intensive care unit bill either. And so that just gets shifted off into, you know, the hospital eating that cost or the healthcare system, and everybody's complaining about their healthcare costs going up. Well, that's part of it, you know, because that that cost gets shifted on to all of us who have health care, you know, uh, insurance and things. And, you know, a big part in my mind is, is why, you know, insurance rates go up is that, you know, we have to pay, spend more money on some of these right. underinsured individuals than if we gave them regular health care, you know. And, and, you know, expanding yeah. it now, what they're – sorry, I'm going on my – you got me on my uh, – <laughs> Go off, for I it. Get off now. So, um, you know, expanding it to 138% of – of the poverty level, you're talking, you know, $35,000 for a family of four. That That is not a high-income individual, you know. That is um, not someone who can afford uh, twelve to $1,500 a month for the insurance premiums through precisely. the marketplace. And so, you know, right. you know, right in the midst of a, you know, a, a global pandemic, you know, I think Missourians want to know that their neighbors have access to health care. And it is not dependent on what is in their bank account, you know, because you know, they frankly can't afford to put money into health care. And, and so, you know, we just have to pony up and do it. And, and we get to pony up where the federal government is going to give us 90% of it. You know, right. And, yeah. And um, we've lost, uh, I don't know, a handful, 10, 15 uh, rural hospitals in Missouri and probably got another 20 or 30 on the, on the margins uh, who be directly because um, uh, Medicaid was not available to the, uh, their, their, the people they take care of. So these... Well, and I think people sometimes don't understand why 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 wasn't that the case before? Because Medicaid hasn't really changed. But what did change is when they introduced you know, the uh, Affordable Care Act. You know, I, I don't think they really anticipated many states turning down a hundred percent payment for the increase in Medicaid. And so what no. they did is they did away with something called DSH payments or DISH payments, which was a fund that went to hospitals to help pay for care of individuals who had no insurance. And so, right. you know, they anticipated the hospitals would get more Medicaid dollars because who would turn away 100% payment for their Medicaid patients? Well, you know, a few states did, including ours. Um, and so now the hospitals are struggling because uh, they're getting less funds from the U.S. government because it was going to come indirectly through the Medicaid patients, but now we don't have those Medicaid patients. And so it, it's a struggle for hospitals. And they and they close, especially when they're on the border, like uh, with Arkansas, which is a Medicaid expansion state, and you know the hospital right across the border, 
you know, is getting by better so they can hire more nurses and those nurses go over there. And then, you know, it, right. it's a difficult situation. You don't have to look very far from here to find rural hospitals closed. So. No, right. Cooper County, Callaway County. I know. You go 30 miles in any direction and you have a closed hospital practically. Yes. Right. Which, you know, so it's well, voting day. Columbia, but that's, that's not the case when you're having chest pain out in Wanatawa County, right? It's, well, and then what we're doing is we're going to transfer that financial challenge onto the University Hospital and Boone Hospital, um, and they are not um, on uh, the, those are not bottomless wells either. So correct. Yeah, and you know, where so it's the voting day today. Come it's, from it's from you know your tax dollars, right. right? So it all comes back. You're going to pay for it one way or another. So why don't we pay for right, it in a way that gives people health care? And that is more affordable. So I am going to end this because we're near the end of our time, and I want to I remind just got people on my that it is. In, in, yeah, no, yeah, but I'm going to finish it up by saying the polls are open, and they're open until 7 p.m. tonight. And if you happen to live in a non-Columbia part of, of Boone County and you forgot to vote in your neighborhood this morning and you're like, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I can get home in time tonight – to vote, then there's an other alternative, and that is you can go by the Boone County Government Center today until 7 p.m., and in the council chambers, they will have a polling place for you to cast your vote. And if you got an absentee ballot or a vote-by-mail ballot and you forgot to mail it, do not mail it today. You may take it by that same place and hand it in if you... You may need ID, so take that with you. But please um, uh, tell us what you think and cast your vote. It's you know, uh, democracy is not a uh, a um, spectator sport. So um, I'll make I a shout out to, to our, our former preterm baby parents, and you know, and, you know, they counted on us when we needed them, and we're counting on you guys right now. So I will call yeah. a personal tab in and say, go out and, and put your vote in, please. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Tim O'Connor, neonatologist at Boone Hospital Center. Thanks so much for being uh, our guest this morning. And thank you so much to Mallory for uh, being on the on the board. And uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And please wash your hands, wear your mask, take your vitamin D, and cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a virus. And go vote. Thanks, Dr. Alleman. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. A special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Tim O'Connor, Director of Newborn Intensive Care at Boone Hospital Center. As always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have related to coronavirus. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139, email gm at kopn.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. You can catch Community Pulse live Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. and later in the day at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Up next is an abridged version of Background Briefing. Thank you so much for listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, your volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station serving Mid-Missouri.